You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. Today, in the final week of our second series of the summer, a series we launched two weeks ago, uh, the series is called God Never Said That. Uh, in, in the past two weeks since launching that series, we've affirmed that oftentimes, maybe far too often, false and deceptive belief systems are uh, formed when God is credited for saying things that he actually never said. And the problem in doing that is when we fall victim to those false belief systems, our understanding of biblical truth is compromised and our faith suffers. Over the past two weekends, we've affirmed that the source of our belief system uh, has to be, it must be, uh, in the person of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's Word. It can't be based on what the culture is telling us. It can't be based on what we feel. It can't be based on what we uh, established on what we would uh, want to justify as truth. It can only be established on the truth that God has already set forth in, in his words. Um, in the past two weeks, we've um, uh, identified two of the many deceptions that exist. In the first week, we identified the deception that says, when I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, God will ensure that I am always happy. And I get to say it again today, God never said that. Would you say that with me? God never said that. God's chief aim and goal for our life is not to ensure that we are always happy, but instead that we would be formed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He's called us to be holy. Um, uh, last week, we confronted the false belief, the deception that says, once I accept Jesus Christ as my savior, um, I can do whatever I please. I can live my life any way I please. It doesn't matter because I'm saved. And once again, would you say it with me? God never said that. God has set us apart that our lives would be honoring to him. God has called us once again to be holy. This week, we're going to confront another deception. And as we do it, I'm going to actually use a little help from a classic movie. Um, in 2006, uh, the, the movie Rocky Balboa was released. Any Rocky fans in the room? Raise your hands if you will. Yeah, a few are willing to say that. Um, and uh, uh, in 2006, Rocky Balboa was released. Um, and in that movie, or along with that movie, came perhaps one of the most inspirational speeches that the Italian stallion ever made. It happens outside of a restaurant on a sidewalk uh, as Rocky has an encounter with his son. So I want you to watch the clip, and then we're going to talk some more. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit, it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. I'm always going to love you no matter what. No matter what happens. You're my son. You're my blood. You're the best thing in my life. But until you start believing in yourself, you ain't gonna have a life. 
Don't forget to visit your mother. For all those This Is Us fans, you may recognize the sun. Did you, do you know, that we were in first service and I said that, and Pastor Nick goes, no way! <laughs> uh, isn't that, that's the kind of speech that's just highly inspiring, right? I mean, you kind of just want to go out and conquer the world. Uh, it would be easy to say, well, that speech is just filled with nuggets of gold. But in saying that, we also have to recognize the old saying that says, all that glitters is not gold. Because no matter how good we might think that speech is, and no matter how inspiring we think that speech is, um, there's one line in the speech that captures the deception that we want to talk about today. As Rocky is uh, concluding his words to his son, he says something like this, uh, until you start believing in yourself, you ain't going to have a life. He, 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 he encourages son, you've got to believe in yourself. And at face value, that doesn't sound all that bad, right? Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself and you can make it happen. We probably all throughout life sometimes had somebody say, just believe in yourself. Believe in yourself and you can make it happen. But here's what I want to say. When you take the cultural belief uh, uh, to believe in yourself and you put it up against biblical truth, then suddenly there is an obvious contradiction. There, there is a deception that exists. One of the greatest deceptions that the culture promotes today is that everything you have in life is a result of believing in yourself and your belief that it can happen. The culture would teach today, believe in yourself, believe in yourself, believe in yourself, and you can make it happen. Believe, and it will be. Believe, and it will be. And you think, but what's so wrong about that? Shouldn't we believe in ourselves? And the problem is, at the core of self-belief is the desire, I believe, for a person to be in control of their own life. Think about it. To be in control of, of their own life. And you say, uh, well, does the Bible not teach that? I mean, if we look through Scripture, throughout the uh, New Testament, there are some 263 times that uh, the word believe is used. But what I would say is if you study all 263 times, you'll never find that the word believe is partnered with other words to create a phrase that says believe in yourself and you can make it happen. It, it, it never happens that way. Um, uh, it, it, the Bible doesn't teach us to believe in ourselves, but it teaches us to believe in something greater than ourselves. Um, we do find instances in Scripture where we're um, uh, encouraged to be strong, to be courageous. You see, it's important that we recognize that to call, um, to believe in yourself, to call that a false perception, uh, to call it a, a wrong belief, uh, it's not an indictment against having um, uh, healthy measures of confidence, of self-esteem, of courage, even the desire to make a difference in the world with your own life. It, it's, not a, it's not an indictment against it, but instead we actually find instances in Scripture where uh, men and women are encouraged, be strong, be courageous. In fact, would you take your Bibles and would you turn to Joshua chapter 1? Joshua chapter 1. Let me just give you the setup. Joshua, uh, Moses has died and Joshua is getting ready to assume leadership of the children of Israel. And so the Lord speaks to him as he's preparing him to take leadership. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, as the Lord speaks, he says, Be strong 
and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. And then you drop down to verse 9 and the Lord says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. But listen to this. Here's, here's the key. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So if you listen, uh, God's not telling, Ro uh, God's not telling Rocky. <laughs> he probably has a few things to say to Rocky. God's not telling Joshua, uh, you know, believe in yourself, Joshua. Believe and, and you can make it happen. He's not saying be strong and be courageous. He's not saying, Joshua, uh, if you believe in yourself, when you walk to, around the walls of Jericho, they'll fall because of your belief in yourself. But instead he's saying, uh, believe in me. Believe in me. He's directing him to, to believe in something that's greater than himself because he recognizes that in himself, Joshua doesn't have the power. Joshua doesn't have what it takes. And the same is true for us. The truth that we have to lean on is that we were made to trust someone greater than ourselves and that someone is God. Listen, we were made to trust someone greater than ourselves and that someone is God. Uh, when you and I uh, choose to believe it in ourselves, we put ourselves uh, in this very difficult situation. We put ourselves where all the dependency is on us. Um, it, it, and when you and I come into relationship with Jesus, instead of trying to trust in ourselves, what really happens is we're called to relinquish control. We're not called to have control of our life, but we're called to relinquish control. So if I say, God, I trust you with my life. That means what really has to happen is to say, God, I choose right now to relinquish my control. That means I am going to let go. I'm not going to try to hold on and have you hold on at the same time, but I'm going to relinquish control and I'm going to let you lead my life. And I'm going to let you guide myself. But when we choose to believe in ourselves, we, we, can't, we can't choose to believe in ourselves and give God control. It's, it's one or the other. When we set ourselves up to believe in ourselves, we put ourselves in a very challenging, a very difficult position. Because we become our chief um, uh, motivator. We become our, our primary cheerleader. We become our chief support system. Um, it's as if, if I'm going to choose to believe in myself, then I'm going to have to live my life going around saying something like this. Stan, Stan, he's my man. If he can't do it, nobody can. Stan, Stan, he's my man. If he can't do it, nobody can. Stan, Stan, he's my man. And if I say that long enough, and if I say that fast enough, and maybe if I get the right rhythm to it, then I'll actually begin to believe that I have what it takes to make it happen. And again, that's a very difficult, it's a very challenging situation because I don't have what it takes. Over time, if I say it's all dependent on me, guess what? I'm going to let me down. I don't have the strength. I don't have the power. As much as I would like to convince myself that I have superhuman powers, I don't. And in the process, and the same is true for all of us, we're going to become weary trying to keep up that charade. We can't continue to try to do it all by ourselves. And we don't have to. 
I love it because Jesus offers such a better way and he extends such a gracious invitation. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Look with me at verses 28 and 29. If I... If I choose to believe and I dwell in, it's up to me to make it happen. I'm going to wear out. I'm going to become weary. In verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when I read that, I hear Jesus saying, you can walk around, you can live life trying to make it all work in your own strength and in your own power. But I'm telling you, it's not going to work out. But I have something better for you. You can release the burden of carrying that around and trying to make it happen. You can give that to me and I will give you myself in exchange. And you wear me and you let me work through you. And I promise all things will work together for your good. That's what he's saying. That's the offer. That's the exchange. Listen, attempting to live life by believing in ourselves is a setup for worry and anxiety and fear. And when we attempt to be in control of our own lives, what we're going to find is that the hardships of life are going to knock us down. It will happen after time. It will knock us down. I love how the Apostle Paul, I love the attitude that he has about the hardships of life. Would you turn over to Philippians? Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, uh, verse 12. As Paul writes, he says, I'll wait, I hear pages turning. Philippians 4. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And listen to what he says. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So he didn't say, you know, I've lived out every kind of situation in my life. And because I believed in myself, I made it through. But he said, I found what it means to trust Christ in those situations. I've learned that it is true that through Christ... I can live through any hardship. I can live through any situation. I can be in plenty. I can be in want. Christ is always there. He always supplies what I need. I don't have to depend on myself. Um, you know, you, you still might be skeptical that I would call believe in yourself a deception. Uh, why? Why is it a deception? Why? It's dangerous. Why is it so dangerous? Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about the danger of self-belief. Whether we want to um, admit it or not, to believe that everything that I have in life or everything that I'll achieve is up to me to make it happen. Uh, for me to carry the burden of, of uh, if I believe it will be, in reality, is my attempt, it's our attempt to, to become our own God. Think about it. It's our attempt to become our own God. I can do it for myself. I will be my, my own God. It's exactly what Adam and Eve fell into 
in the garden. I, I, we won't go there and read it, but I'll just paraphrase the story. If you look in chapter 3, first six verses, what we find is uh, Eve has an encounter with a serpent in the garden. Adam's close by. And um, he says to her, um, now Eve, this is my paraphrase, Eve, now did God tell you you can't eat the fruit of any of these trees in the garden? And she says, well, no, that's not actually what he said. What he says is you can eat fruit from all the trees in the garden except for the one in the middle of the garden, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent responds and he says, listen, here's why he doesn't want you to eat of that tree because he knows that you will become like him. He was luring her in, helping her, uh, uh, wanting her to believe that she could become her own God. And the scripture says that she looked at the fruit, saw that it was pleasing and she ate it and so did Adam. And in that moment, they exercised their own desire to become their own God. And that really didn't work out very well for them, did it? I mean, think about the consequences, and we suffer those consequences today because of the decision that they made. Listen, we were not created to be in control of our lives. We were created to give God complete control. Again, it means letting go, releasing. Why is it dangerous? Well, whether we want to admit it or not, to believe that everything I have in life, everything that I'll achieve, it's up to me to make it happen. If I believe it will be in reality is our attempt to dismiss our need for God. We, we, we would just say, I don't really need God in my life. I, I think I can do it all on my own. And this is what the children of Israel were uh, guilty of, at least in one season of their life, if not more. Um, remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Samson. Samson was the last judge of, of Israel. Uh, and after Samson died and before Saul was appointed as the first king of the United Kingdom of Israel, um, there was a period of time where there was no leadership. There was no spiritual leadership. You see, the judges and the kings were supposed to be a spiritual director to the people leading them towards God. And it typically didn't happen that way. And so uh, in Judges chapter uh, 17, verse 6, it says that in that season, there was no God, no king, and everyone did as they pleased. In other words, everybody had a do uh, to each his own attitude. And, and, and in that, the, 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 the attitude was, I don't need a God because I can do what I want to. I can control my own life. And that really didn't work out for them either. Listen, you and I were not created to live with a to each his own or her own attitude. But instead, we were created with a deep need for God to lead us and guide us. Because when we don't have him lead us and guide us, we're lost. We might find our way for a while, but we're lost. We don't finish the journey well when we try to dismiss our need for God. Finally, why? Why is it so dangerous, uh, this self-belief? Well, again, whether we want to admit it or not, when we begin to believe that everything I have in life, uh, everything that I'll achieve, it's up to me to make it happen. If I believe, it will be in reality is our attempt to take credit for God's work. There's a great example of this in Daniel chapter 4. Again, you don't need to turn there. I'll just paraphrase the story. But in Daniel chapter 4, we read about King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. He was said to be the greatest king of Babylon. He was wealthy. He was wise. He was highly creative. Uh, he he um, ordered the creation of the great hanging gardens on the rooftop of the palace for his wife. 
um, uh, and we're told that one day he was on the rooftop of the palace and he began to look around and as he was looking around, he said, look at all that I have accomplished. Look at all that I have done. And at that very moment, a dream came true that we read about in Daniel chapter 3 uh, and Daniel had interpreted that dream. At that moment when he said, look at all that I have done, he entered into seven years of insanity. Seven years of insanity. Now, I'm not apply, implying that you might go insane. I hope you don't. Uh, but I am saying we are not to take credit for God's work. Uh, here's a great end to the story. Seven years later, he came to his senses, the scripture says, and he, he exalted God. He gave God, he said, God, I recognize that you are the creator. You have done all this. And his sanity was restored to him. Listen, we, uh, when we take credit for God's work, we withhold, we actually rob God of the thanksgiving and the worship that actually belongs to him. Because whatever you've achieved in your life, whatever I've achieved in my life, there is only one reason that it was able to happen and that's because of God, the creator of the heavens and earth, and what he does as he works through us. He does give us skill. He gives us ability. He gives us talent. But he gives. And it's true. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is that uh, Jesus uh, teaches a way of life that completely opposes the culture. Um, if we choose to believe uh, everything I have in life is up to me to make it happen, it's, it's all dependent on me, we are actually choosing to oppose what Jesus taught. Uh, in Matthew chapter 11, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, we find where Jesus called the disciples to follow him. And when he called them, he says, come and follow me. But then he followed that up by saying, if you choose to follow me, this is what it means. You're going to have to deny yourself. That's a completely different teaching than what the culture would teach us today. The culture doesn't teach deny yourself. The culture teaches gain everything you can for yourself. But Jesus said die. You have to deny yourself. The Apostle Paul throughout the New Testament affirms this Jesus way of life. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning in uh, verse 9 in 2 Corinthians 12, as Paul writes, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in the weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what we're taught here is that to be strong, you have to be weak. That's a different teaching than the culture teaches, right? The culture says, be strong, believe in yourself. But Jesus said, if you want to be strong, you're going to have to be weak. You know, oftentimes when I, when you, when we think we're at our strongest, uh, that's when we become most dependent on ourselves. We think things are going well. 
This is moving right along. Look what I'm doing. And so we depend on ourselves. Uh, uh, the problem that happens is over time, we will realize that we really don't have enough strength in ourselves to endure the hardships of life. That we, we just, we don't have it. It, it. It's not possible. But I would say this morning that the power of Christ, according to what we read in Scripture, is most visible when we're faithful despite the hardships that we encounter in life. When we're walking through those hardest times and we surrender, that's when Christ's power is most seen. That's when it becomes most visible. Uh, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to um, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 7, it says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For those uh, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. So here we're taught to gain, you have to lose. That's a completely different teaching than the world would teach. The world would say, get all you can. Just get all you can. But Jesus says, if you want to gain, you have to lose. In reality, when we believe in ourselves, I believe it's because we want to gain something for ourselves. And it feeds our need for control. And it directs us away from trusting God. But the paradox of the gospel is that after gaining Christ, we live a life of service for him and sacrifice to him. And the world might think that we're losers for doing this, but in reality, we have the greatest gain because we gain victory in every situation of our lives through Jesus Christ. That's the eternal gain. That's what's so great about this uh, alternative way of life, this paradox that Jesus teaches. And finally, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Oh, verse 13. Verse 13, it says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the sinful nature you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So here we're taught that to live... You have to die. The culture teaches us uh, you only live life once. So live it to the fullest in every and any way you can. Get all you can. Gain all you can. Live, live, live. And that teaching is, is, is contradictory to what Jesus teaches. Jesus says that we have to be willing to die. Because ultimately, the only way we can find true peace, happiness, fulfillment in life is to die to self. And to live to Christ. There's, there's no other way. The more we die to self, the more we experience the fullness of life in Christ. Um, if our perspectives about God are uh, out of focus, then our perspectives about ourselves are going to be out of focus. But when we can start thinking right about God, we'll start thinking right about ourselves. I, I can guarantee you that. I want to close this way. 
we, we started early on with that Rocky uh, movie clip, that speech that he gave to his son. Um, I want to read an alternative speech. I didn't come up with this. It's not original with me, but I want to read to you an alternative speech. What if Rocky had have said this to his son? Let me tell you something you may or may not already know. The world's not all sunshine and rainbows. In fact, sometimes it will be storms and floods. Then there are other times when it's scorching heat and droughts. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you try to make it in this world on your own strength and power. There are two great enemies that we must face, the devil and the person you look at in the mirror every day. The devil wants to kill, still, and destroy you. He's not after the world. He already has that. He wants you. He hates what God loves, which is you. When the enemy is not messing with you, then the enemy you look at every day in the mirror will be. Besides the devil, no one is going to set you up for failure more than you will. Nobody is going to hit as hard as this fallen world will. But it's not about how hard you hit back because you will continue to let yourself down time and time again. It's about how hard your God can take a hit because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. When you want to give up, God's power never runs out. When you want to hide, God shows up and shows out. When you want to retreat, God keeps moving forward. That's how winning is done. His victory becomes your victory. That's all that matters and it will matter forever and ever. Now, God has bought you with the blood of his own son, Jesus, and there is nothing more valuable than that. Do you know what you are worth? Your value is immeasurable, not because of how awesome you are, but because of how awesome Jesus is. So go out and get all the spiritual riches that Christ has bought for you. Don't settle. Don't compromise. You are a child of the king, the king of all kings. But you've got to be willing to surrender to give up, to die, die to yourself and find the life called Jesus. Cowards don't do that. They're scared to let go. It takes real faith to trust Jesus with everything. So we hold on. We want to be in control and we try and try and try until the day we finally realize that the harder we try, the more we mess up. But you're better than that or better yet, your Jesus is better than that. Rocky didn't make that speech to his son, but I believe that those are words that are applicable to us today and that the words that the Lord would have us believe about ourselves, that what we would believe about ourselves is that we put our trust in Jesus Christ and we relinquish control because he has the best plan for us. Would you stand as we close? I want to pray for you. Father, today we confess that it is actually very easy to want to have control of our own lives. It's just kind of a natural thing. But we've also realized that that doesn't uh, typically work out so well. So I ask that we would be a people of surrender. That we would not fall victim to the deception that says you've got to believe in yourself if anything's going to happen. But we would believe that through Christ, all things are possible. Christ in me, the hope of glory. 
I pray that we would have a new revelation of who you are and that would help us in greater ways die to ourselves, surrender to you, and live for you. I pray that we could understand the great victory that we already have through you because of what you did on the cross. And I pray that we take it and we apply it deep into our lives, into our hearts, and it dictates how we walk out every day. Father God, I pray that you work your word in us, transform us, change us, Lord, so that we can be more like you. Father God, we offer ourselves to you today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.